Mr. Diamond, how are you doing? Jonathan Yee. <laughs> Can never get away. You guys, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but Andrew always calls me Jonathan Yee at the first, at the beginning of the podcast. And then he calls me Johnny the rest of the time. It's like every time we get on Zoom, I don't know what it is. I just have to start with Jonathan Yee. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's even when you call me on the phone, you know, you're like, Jonathan that, This Yee. is true. This is yeah. true. So, yeah, well welcome guys welcome to another episode and um you know last week we weren't able to do this but that was because we we recorded in the morning and we're still trying to get a rhythm going uh, yeah. but this time around you know we're recording at night now so andrew can you know finally rest i think you got a pretty good day though right i'm bringing the beer back baby <laughs> bringing the beer so what you got man <laughs> i oh i made a mess oh i literally <laughs> made a mess you gotta That's drink it all I up get. <laughs> I guess I don't. I mean, you guys can't see this, but Andrew's like fervently cleaning the tabletop right now. Oh no! Well, I, uh, I Johnny, distract everybody. <laughs> yeah, so we might have to cut this. <laughs> How bad do you think I get roasted for <clears throat> wasting beer? You don't waste beer. You had some, right? I, I did, but you know, to be fair, I have no idea why that happened. And it just made a mess. That was not my fault. <laughs> okay, so it's not your fault. So we're 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 fine. Uh, I, you you still have, you still have beer, right? You still got. Oh a couple, yeah, yeah. I still okay. have plenty. You don't it, waste beer. Pretty man. sizable beer. All right, for sure. So what kind of what, what beer you got, man? Let's see. Today we have Johnny's going to judge me because I I botched this before. Brow <laughs> Browridge West Pop Fuji. I showed Johnny has this really cool space inspired cartoon figure would you call that yeah 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 it's got a pretty cool logo on it so and let, let's try it let's try it see how it is that's pretty good very that's light good. light yeah. is it is it like weedy bready what kind of what, what kind of light a little, a little bit like it uh it kind of reminds me of a like a oh man on the tip of your tongue uh, it's the orange shock top. Kind of reminds me of a shock top. Uh, okay, for sure, for sure. But better, I think. I see. No, no offense, shock top. You could still sponsor us. <laughs> We're just like trying to fish for the sponsorships. Whatever it is, Johnny. It's week six. Going into week seven. Yeah. Going into week seven. How's it been? You you have any mental breaks yet? I don't think I've had any mental breaks, but I think we're we're starting to edge close to it. Um, you know. You and I, you and I, we work, we work relatively, you know, close together in terms of, you know, schoolwork and we've definitely had our challenges. Um, this week, this past week. Yeah. So we haven't got, I mean, you guys might be wondering, we have not, we have not gotten our grade back yet for our composites exam that we told you about, but Johnny actually jinxed us. He <laughs> yeah. said it was going to be cake and it turns out it was a, an awfully hard test yeah but we're still confident that we didn't fail i mean i think we we did pretty good i think we're fine 
but you know, going into next week, I'm going to, I'm going to probably die. So I don't know about you, but I got three tests going, so it's going to be rough, but that's, that is the way it is the way. I got two next week, but it's okay. This is the, this around the time that it sets in. I had a, I had a bit of a, uh, uh, not a breakdown I wouldn't call it a breakdown I'm so we're approaching senior year me and Johnny and we have for me I have a big choice to make if I want to focus on air uh, spacecraft or rockets launch vehicles so I'm still debating that and going back and forth on what I want but I think I've I think I've made up my mind see for me it's easy I just like airplanes and that's you, you only have to do air vehicle design then so but Andrew you got a lot of decisions to make you know but airplanes are easy they're not. Airplanes are hard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. People are going <laughs> to jump down my throat for that. Yeah, dude. No, yeah, I think most of the professors at our school are airplane people. That is true. That is yeah. true. Hey, you got to tread lightly. <laughs> I'm never going to make it out of the department. But anyways, right? I mean, yeah, you're going to stay as junior forever. But, you know, I, I think this is something I really admire about Andrew quite a lot. And this is I'm going to also describe what we're going to go into for the episode today, but Andrew's extremely passionate and I, I find myself being very passionate about aerospace. And I think aerospace in general is a very passionate field because it's so niche um, for those of you guys out there that aren't quite sure what aerospace is. You know, it's all about airplanes, rockets, you know, a lot of stuff that has to do with the air domain and space domain, right? If it flies, it's aerospace. Yeah. I mean, even then, like, even if you look at those car commercials with the wind tunnels, right. And you see the smoke going over the car, that is aerospace in itself, or, or it's aerodynamics, which is something that we are supposed to be experts in with an emphasis right. as opposed to, yeah. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm an expert in all things aerospace. <laughs> but yeah, like I was saying, like Andrew's absolutely, no, like he is passionate about these things to the point where he doesn't know whether he wants to do, you know, launch vehicle or, or you know, space vehicle, right? And, and on top of that, he was like, man, I kind of want to do air vehicle too. And so he wants to do all three. Yeah, of course. If you if you had the time, wouldn't you want to do branch out and do more things? Yeah, but I feel it's like it's just you're, not possible. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, that is true. But I feel like you're on this spectrum where you're like, I think I could do two in you know a year though. Like I feel like you're oh, a lot I, more willing I, to it than I am. If I I I think if it would be if it was allowed, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it is, um, but if I think if I I could and I didn't have a project like another side project I was working on. I right. think I would do it. Yeah. But like, basically what I'm saying is Andrew's much more passionate than I am. And I consider myself to be somewhat passionate about my field of study. And so I, I don't know if I'd say more passionate. I'd, I'd say you're just okay. up there. I get it. You're a humble guy. All right. <laughs> you're a humble guy. I'll, I'll, you know, no, Andrew, Andrew's extremely passionate. I really, that's, I think that's kind of why we vibe off each other when we talk about things, you know, and that's kind of why we started the podcast. Cause we realized we we're very passionate about very similar things. But on the topic of today, which is how, how, like, you know, I guess the topic is how, how did we get into engineering? Like what drove us to become engineering majors, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, for me, it was like a huge part of me growing up, I guess. Yeah. So how about and we I, just start off? I mean, that's the same thing with me, right? So how about you start off or I could start off with our childhood and how we really, you know, set the foundation for that then yeah i feel like it's going to be pretty similar but so okay so from a young really young age actually let me backtrack let me start off with somebody that like it's not even me right so my dad uh 
grew up basically from his childhood as a mechanic. We came from an extremely mechanical family who had, you know, people always tinkering, taking stuff apart. Uh, my dad rebuilt his first car engine, I think when he was like nine years old. Jeez. Um, and even before him, my, my grandpa, uh, he was in the, in the military and he was an airplane mechanic, funny enough. Oh, wow. Getting sidetracked, but he actually was a qualified airplane mechanic, rebuilt engines on airplanes on like, you know, old World War II planes, basically. Uh-huh. And one day somebody needed to move an airplane and he was not qualified to move that airplane. But long story short, somebody made him. No, somebody made him move the airplane and he ran it off the runway. Okay. Cause some damage to that plane. I thought I but, thought uh, you were gonna say that they since he could have moved the their plane himself by like piloting it, they made him take it apart and move it. No, 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 a, no. no. <laughs> Go that on. would have been a, a, probably a cheaper method than running it off the airway on accident, but or airstrip. Anyways, but uh, so we came, you know, come from an extremely mechanical, uh, hands-on family background, and so at, when I came around my dad just wanted to, you know, give me all that knowledge and, and, you know, instill it into me. But even before that, I think I kind of just got the bug. And I think you would probably agree that some people just do have that bug growing up where they right. just want to take stuff apart. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like one of my earlier memories of taking things apart, I remember taking apart my <clears throat> sister's TV um, and my dad <laughs> came home from work and he was like, what are you doing? You're going to shock yourself. Cause he, apparently uh, this is the story. I don't remember, but he said the TV was still plugged in. And, you know, parents, <laughs> parents are a little dramatic at times. So who knows if that was actually true or not. Right. But he said, if you're going to take it apart, at least unplug the TV. Mm. So ever since then, you know, I, I just basically, I would work with him in the garage a lot. I, I would help him work on his truck. Um, I pulled my first engine out of a car with him probably around the same age when I was about like eight, or, eight years old, eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I basically, you know, took everything I learned from him and I went into my own work. I was a mechanic a while for a couple different places, small places. Um, and basically just, you know, took all that knowledge I had and applied it. And, and I realized I was like, okay, basically the thought process was I'm a pretty decent mechanic. Like I know my way around the shop. I could take things apart. I could put them back together. I'm pretty competent. Um, why not take it to the next level? And instead of taking things apart and putting them back together, why don't I try to design stuff? Right. Mm. And I will be the first to admit, uh, design and like, uh, being a mechanic and engineering, something are two totally different things. And most of the time engineers or mechanics typically don't like engineers because engineers over design things. They over engineer things. And typically mechanics don't like that. And that's reasonable. Sometimes designs don't work out right. Right. Um, but I figured, Hey, if I'm good at this, I could take what I know. I could, you know, tweak it a little bit. I could apply it where I can, and mm-hmm. I, I could get good at this. And, uh, that's, that's basically how I got here. You know, I, I took that and I thought the rockets were cool. I thought planes were cool at a young age. I knew I wanted to go into aerospace and I, I basically just took that and, and ran with it. Mm, for sure. I did what not know you? that. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I actually did have a question to follow up and this is, you know, getting a little sidetracked, but it, it was something that popped up in my mind as we were, you know, talking because um, a- Andrew's a part of a club called LRL at our school. It's liquid, liquid rocket, rocket lab. Yeah. Right. Liquid rocket lab. And 
for those of you guys that don't know, uh, liquid rockets are a lot more complicated than solid rockets. And with this, the complexity mostly comes from the plumbing. And I'm wondering, Andrew, were you more intrigued to join Liquid Rocket Lab as opposed to our, the other team, which is Umbra, and they do solid rockets? Were you more interested in LOL because you have experience with engines as well? That was, I think that was part of it. I, I knew that, well, this isn't necessarily true either, but I thought that basically because I was good at internal combustion engines, uh-huh. um, it would translate into rocket engines, which isn't necessarily true. They're totally different beasts, but right. you know, foundations in, in engines can, can transfer over. Um, but I was more interested in LRL because LRL has an extremely hands-on foundation where you're working with stuff throughout the entire process. Mm -hmm. There's nothing on our rocket that is like, well, this is not, I was going to say that's off the shelf. That's not necessarily true, but it's not like something you just, you know, go into the store and you buy a lot of the stuff you have to, you know, massage or manufacture or whatever it is to get it to work correctly. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted that hands-on experience. And when I found out what they were doing in LRL, I wanted to be a part of it. And then the moment I walked into LRL lab or the structures lab where LRL is located at our school, mm-hmm. I basically fell in love because it was, it's in a lab that has all the machinery, all the tools, all the, sh- basically a shop. And I was like, okay, this is where I need to be. This is like my home. I'm comfortable here. I belong mm-hmm. here. Um, and then a funny enough story is when I got onto LRL, the first day I wasn't, I wasn't an official member. One of the team members, Nick, shout out to Nick basically was like do you know what you're doing have you ever worked with valves and i was like i've worked with some valves but you know never rockets and he was like well look at this and if you have any questions let me know so i started putting some valve components and piping together and he looks at me and he goes it looks like you know what you're doing i'm gonna go do something else and he walked away and just left (laughs) me alone with this all these piping components and then he showed up like an hour later and I had a rocket assembly together and he was like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. So that's kind of how I got my start on LRL. And I, I've loved it ever since. I love the work I do for LRL. For sure. Just an absolute natural, man. Just a natural. That's how I do it. Yeah, that's right. It just comes to me. Oh yeah. This is, the, you know, this is why he's passionate. You know, it's just, it's easy for him. Path of least right. resistance. Now, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, Andrew comes from a place where he has a lot of hands-on experience and I, I, I don't have a hands-on experience to that extent, but I think what I did have in my childhood was a lot of curiosity. And I think yeah. this is, a, this is, and we're going to, this is going to bleed into the next topic that we're going to talk about in this podcast. But I had, I had quite a lot of curiosity that really got me in a lot of trouble, um, particularly with my dad. Uh, my dad, when something would happen, or if I had a question of mine, I'd ask my dad because I thought my dad knew everything. And I don't know if this is how every child thinks. I think this is how every child thinks. But I would ask my dad, dad, like, why is this like this? Why is this like this? Why is the sky blue? Why is... Oh, yeah. And to a certain extent, you know, you know you're, you're going to get annoyed as an adult trying to answer every single question to a kid, right? So my dad told me to stop asking why. But I still did. <laughs> and um, I think it got to the point where he, um, he started taking me to the library. And he, that would get me to shut up. Like he would, he would like, that's, that's his way of getting me to be quiet. So I'd go out and I'd look around for books and I, I do what you gotta do. I know exactly. You know, (laughs) some of them give their kids iPads, but there was no iPad back then, you know? So instead for me, it was the library and I go to the library and my dad would like have me there for like at least four hours. And he would just have me like go around and rummage for books. And 
I ended up like going across a lot of science books. And that was like what really intrigued me. It was, it was science books and like the Guinness like book of records. I don't know why it was like random facts. And then science books really intrigued me. And so that was like kind of where it was at. And I think I mentioned this in the previous podcast as well, but um, I, I, I had like a whole like encyclopedia of science books from Isaac Asimov. And I wish yeah, I still had those. Yeah. I wish I still had those. I don't know what happened. I think I, I used to have so many books in my room. Like I had like three shelves, I think of books. It was a mini library and I ended up giving it all away to like my local library because um, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of followed this minimalist like trend. And so like once I started hitting high school, I was like, ah, no more books for me. But was it not, the Encyclopedia Galactica? Oh, uh, might be, dude. It might be. I remember hearing about, um, you know, I was really obsessed with Mars. And, you know, it's kind of coincidental the way things are going right now. But I remember they found like a picture with a face like in the Mars regolith. And they were like, this might be an alien. I don't know if you know. I think it was, um, it was I forget which mission it was. Um, but one of the Mars missions, missions actually picked that up. And they were like, oh, it looks like a face. But I was like, oh, maybe aliens are real. You know? So that was they like something. Be. We never know. I mean, we do never know. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends what we define alien as. But yeah, that was basically kind of early on. And then, you know, kind of bleeding into junior high and high school. I was getting a better understanding of how, you know, things worked around me. And that's when I started taking things apart. I didn't take things apart really early on in my age because my dad didn't let me near tools. But what he did do was he always let me um, stick around him while he was working on stuff. And so that was my way of getting exposure. So it was a little bit later on for me, but my dad always made me, if we needed to repair something in the house, he'd have me, you know, by his side, helping him out and stuff like that. So I don't think I'm as hands-on as you, Andrew, right? But, um, you know, I, I can get some work done. And then on top of that, I was like, I always took apart some electronics. And so I remember I had an iPod touch. Um, I don't know if anyone has those anymore, but you know, those are dinosaurs, man. I, <laughs> those are long, Nobody does iPods. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, that's, this is before the iPhone was really, really big. Right. right. But like the iPod touch and I would play like, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna throw, I'm, I'm gonna throw out some games here. And if you guys know what these are, then, you know, give us, you know, like send it, send us an email. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> but I don't know if you guys remember pocket God, that was a game I used to play doodle jump. There was this one. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was this one where it was, it was such a dumb game but it was called like it was like like paper basket or something like that where you throw like a, oh yeah I a paper that. ball into the yeah. basket right and then every time that. and then sometimes they would have a fan in the middle man if yeah. we knew aerodynamics back then dude i think i would have gotten a really high score <laughs> but basically uh. you know like on the ipod touch like you know it, it was i i think i like broke the screen or something i was like i'm gonna take this apart and i'm gonna figure out what's going on I took it apart. I ended up buying parts from China. You know, I put in it like the new digitizer, the LCD. And I was like, I got everything put all together. And the only issue was I couldn't get the ceiling. So it was, it, it bulged a little, but aside from that, it, you know, it was, it was a working iPod touch and other things like that. Right. So I just took things apart, you know, like I always wondered how things worked. And um, I even like took apart my laptop. Uh, but you know, those are like, now that I look back at it, I could probably do that all the time now. But at the time, I was like really like kind of scared because it was my only laptop, so my only eye touch, and you know, high stakes, high stakes, exactly. But I don't know, my curiosity was a lot more willing to, you know, I guess I was risk. like exactly, exactly. And so for me, a lot of curiosity really ran my um, imagination and 
like my curious, like, I guess, like I wanted to know how the world worked. And so I'm pretty sure you can relate to that too. Like, I'm pretty sure you always asked a lot of questions and wanted to know how things worked as well. But that's basically my childhood. I actually have a follow-up story to that. It's pretty funny because okay. I don't think you're going to expect this outcome. I replaced a iPhone screen for my friend mm-hmm. when I was in high school. And, you know, I had some, I had, so I worked in a shop with my dad from when I was in eight transitioning into fresh, a freshman at high school. So I had a lot of like shop time under my belt by the time I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And so my friend was like, can you put a screen in my iPhone? I was like, yeah, I take more complex things apart than that all the time. <laughs> Plot twist. I didn't. So I put this screen in the iPhone. It was an iPhone four. Oh, and that's before Siri. That was before Siri. And basically I, I, I had a part left over, but I looked oh. at it and I was like, no, nah, that, that shouldn't matter. It shouldn't make a difference. I promise you, this is a true story. I took the phone, I put it back together, I turned it on, it, the screen flashed on for a second, and then it went black. It never worked again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, do, you, do you know what that part was? I have no idea what that part was. I, just, I see. I, I buried that memory deep down inside me because that reminds me of my failures. I and see. So I, I try not to remember it, but now I'm not going to be able to sleep at night reliving that memory. <laughs> you're being i guess i mean i'm pretty sure your friend has a newer and nicer iphone now than the iphone 4 you know i think the iphone 4 was like 20 2011 i want to say that was right 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 before steve jobs passed away there's some i would say no i don't think it was 2011 i think I it was like 2012 or 2013 yeah but that's pro- that's that's possible yeah I'm just, you know, I'm just flexing my technology, you know, muscle right here. So like another thing that probably puts me into the engineering sphere is that I really like technology. And so I try to stay up on top of that. But I guess, you know, going from childhood then like, okay, so we talked about like our foundations, right? Like what kind of, you know, got us into, I, I would say that I would, I mean, this might be a generalization and, you know, it may be a blanket statement, but we we're, we're, I would say we're curious people, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that sets precedent for us being curious or hands-on, right? But like what pushed us towards engineering then? What what particularly pushed you towards engineering, Andrew? I thought, um, so basically I thought that if I went into engineering, I would be building and putting all these cool things together like, uh, you know, I would be on the like, quote unquote, front lines of like, you know, assembly lines and, you know, manufacturing and all this really cool stuff mm-hmm. that the child version of me would want to do and would want to see. I see. Um, and I thought, you know, as a younger kid or younger student, um, I was thinking, yeah, you know, if I go work for a company like SpaceX, I would be there working on the rocket. And that's, it's not always the truth in fact Mm -hmm. most of the times as an engineer you're not that hands-on there are some companies that is that you are very hands-on spacex Mm -hmm. being one of them you are pretty much on the floor i would say most of the time working Um, even if your job doesn't require being on the floor there's a good chance you'll have some interaction there 
Yeah. Um, at least that's what I've been told. You know, mm-hmm. this is take take what what I'm saying with a grain of salt because I've I've never worked there. Um, but I thought that's what my experience would be. And then as I grew up and as I got more exposure in school, I realized that that's not necessarily true. But I will still have a big part in the overall big picture, um, whatever it is that I'm working on, right? Whether that be mm-hmm. a space mission, whether that be you know, a plane, whatever it is, I'm, even if my part is small, um, I'll still have a role in that final product and that final deliverable. Right. For sure. Yeah. And I was going to follow up with the question of like, you know, how, like, so, cause I'm hearing like your background, right. And it sounds, if you worked on cars, right. It, it would make more sense for you to maybe go into mechanical, right. Mechanical engineering. But I was wondering what pushed you towards specifically airspace because cars don't fly <laughs> or they're not what? supposed to i see and, no, and- I, I i don't know i i thought cars for a really long time i i that's a great great question because for a long time i actually thought what i originally wanted to do was i wanted to go work for potentially a, a race team like I, I thought formula was really cool it is and so i was like it, it is fantastic it's amazing uh-huh. right but i so originally i was like oh i'll I'll go try to get a job in like a formula team and Mm -hmm. I'll go do be a part of that race team. I thought one, it's extremely competitive Two, it's super high paced. You know, your hand, very hands on there. Um, But I don't know as SpaceX became such a big factor in aerospace industry. Mm. And now we see rockets becoming more feasible. We see the, literally the future of aerospace uh astro i should mm-hmm. say changing before our eyes as we're in school that really drove me towards aerospace and that's what made me want to pursue it because that is like like that's a childhood dream right like mm-hmm. you could take like as a child you know in second third grade you say i want to be a rocket scientist now it's lit- quite literally possible to be a rocket scientist. And I mean, it always was, but it's, I feel more possible than ever. Right. And the future of Aero and Astro is incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh, I 100% agree. And I think I kind of lie somewhere along the lines of there too, when it comes to um, what kind of like inspired me to get into aerospace as well. Because like, I, I mean, like I said earlier, my childhood had, I had a wild fascination for space. Right. I read that entire encyclopedia. Um, I, I, you know, this might be too much information, but I used to take a couple of those because encycl- I don't know if they're encyclopedias, but they were relatively thin books. I would say like maybe 20 to 40 pages, like minimum, maximum. I would take like three or four of those and I'd go into the bathtub and I would read those in the bathtub as a little kid. I don't know why I did that, but, you know, it was my time to relax and I, I just, you know, read a book <laughs> or two. Right? time. Exactly. As a little kid. And, you know, I was a really stressed kid. Um, but basically that was what I did. And, you know, going into, um, high school, I, I really wanted to be an engineering. I was like, you know what? Like, I, I feel like if I become an engineer, I can understand the world a little bit better. And that's going to answer a lot of my whys. Um, and so I was like, I, I want to do engineering. And I ended up taking a class. Um, this was my junior year. And I, I mentioned this as well. It's called Megatronics. And this was supposed to be an engineering class. And I look back at it and I, you know, I make, I, I have some regrets because, um, I think that class had the opportunity for you to intern at Boeing. 
like no questions asked. As a high school student, you'd go into Boeing. And so a couple of my classmates ended up doing it. You just had to apply. That's all you had to do. And now I'm just, you know. <laughs> now we're, now I, we're killing for that experience, right? Yeah, we, we just want it so bad. But um, I was hearing about all this stuff. And then, you know, this is when uh, SpaceX, SpaceX was, you know, continuing to try to get to land their boosters again. And, um, you know, th- things were starting to rapidly change. And I was already in awe because of, um, at the time the Endeavor, you know, was, I mean, it wasn't, it was pretty recent since the Endeavor, like I believe flew over LA, which is where I live pretty close to. So I got right. to see that. And, you know, I was just really like, oh my gosh, space. I, I started to rekindle that idea of space and my own fascination for it. And SpaceX finally landed their booster. And I didn't understand the big deal at first, but this is what my friend said to me. And I think I told this to you too, Andrew, but I was like, so what's the big deal about the booster being landed? And he was like, well, imagine this, imagine you buy a car so that you can go to work and you go to work and you park your car and then suddenly your parks, your, your car explodes. <laughs> you just drop like, you know, like 20 to, well, I don't know, like 50 K on a car. And this is us dollars, right? And you just, it just down the drain right after you get to work. Like, and you do that every time you want to go to work. How do you feel about that? And I was like, that sounds very expensive. He's like, exactly my point. Now let's imagine you're able to reuse your car, which is a normal thing for us, right? Um, but imagine- I, I do reuse my car. I exactly. do blow it up every time I drive it. Yeah, right. I, it doesn't explode in the parking lot, but imagine like you being able to reuse your car every time now and now apply that idea to rockets. And I was like, Wow. He's like, yeah, it costs millions of dollars to like assemble these rockets and to make them reusable is like, it's another step in the right direction. I was like, dude, that's crazy. And that's when I started going like head, head over heels for aerospace. And yeah. And I, I think for the longest time, I was like, what should I do? Should I do like Aero or Astro? And then I had a mentor named Paul and Andrew knows Paul too. And shout out to Paul, you know, hopefully, Paul. hopefully I'll be working with Paul in the summer. Um, he works for Nav Air, but I basically was talking to him and he was at the time going to university for aerospace. And he's like, you know what, Johnny, you should be in aerospace. And I was like, I mean, that sounds cool. Should I do space? And he's like, no, you should do aero. And I was like, why? He's like, and at the time it's because aero was still, you know, it, it was the, the, it's the predominant, you know, the field out of aerospace. Exactly. And I think arguably it still can be the case, but um, space is starting to catch up. Right. Um, I, I think that, Oh, this might be controversial, but I don't think that air, uh, space will ever take over Arrow. I think that Arrow is way too everyday, I guess the word would be. Because, right. you know, you if you're going to New York, you need to get to New York tomorrow, you're taking a plane, right? You're not taking a right, rocket. Right. Yeah, that is true. Um, so unless that changes, which, uh, you know, Elon Musk has said he wants to change that where he wants you to board a rocket and, you know, go to China. I think it's in what, a few hours, like three hours. I know, I know. He, I I mean, I've heard of the hyperloop and that was his idea, but you know, yeah, but that's something else. That's totally different. Right. But yeah, I don't think that air will, or space will ever, Astro will ever take over Aero. Um, I always think that, you know, Aero will have that predominant role in our life. Um, however, the space sector, you know, it's going to continue to blow up, especially now that things are rapidly changing. Right. And, and just recently Starship landed 
and then exploded, but it landed, right? So that was another pretty cool event that happened recently in space. So yeah, I mean, initially I was, you know, into space, but there was a gradual shift towards me being more of towards like air vehicles, aircraft. And that I, I would say that rapidly shifted after I started to see and research into planes um, like the U-2, like the SR-71 and the, those planes or the B-2 and even the F-117, like all those planes, I think are really iconic planes. And hearing about this guy named Clarence Kelly Johnson really, really turned it around for me. And I was like, dude, airplanes are cool. I want to do airplanes. I would make the joke sometimes. And, and I'm not trying to talk trash on space by any means, because I think space is absolutely cool. But I, I would always say you need to get through air in order to get to, get, get to space. And so like air, like air, like aerospace, like astronautics is not as, you know, it's like you still need to be a little bit of an aeronautics person to do astronautics. So that was my joke. But yeah, that's basically how I got into aerospace myself and um, I, why I'm as passionate you, about it as I am right now. Yeah, no, I do think aerospace is extremely fascinating. I, I, you know, me and you have talked about this, but since I've been at Cal Poly, I've definitely become more interested in air vehicles. Uh, before, I thought they were cool. It wasn't like, I guess when, and you know, you're going to, say I'm wrong, which is fine. Everybody has their opinion. <laughs> Yours just happens to be wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, when you're looking at something like a launch vehicle or a rocket, it, things don't get much cooler than that. Um, so I thought, you know, nothing's cooler than a rocket, no matter what plane it is. But then now that we're in a program that, you know, we're constantly studying air vehicles, basically, because majority of our uh, curriculum up until senior year is air vehicles. Right is you know you get exposed to a, a lot of really cool air vehicles and especially from like you know i love structures i love aerospace structures from a structural standpoint i think planes are so cool because you know the wings just like the wings alone that's a lot of load right like and right they they don't like they don't get tired so to speak i mean they will eventually right but those are holding up the plane for its entire life until, you know, it goes into retirement, but it's just from a structural standpoint, planes are extremely fascinating. Um, but I just so happen to like rockets a little bit more. <laughs> and I mean, for you, at least instruct from, uh, you know, your interest in structures, it, it bleeds into both. Right. And it's oh, the same yeah. thing with the composites too. If, if you're into composites, you can work on, you know, either one or the other. Right. And so it's kind of a good way to kind of work around it. But yeah, I guess you kind of got your foot on each side of the, the, the fence or yeah, I don't know if that's the right I, saying. I would be happy working in either. I think both would be extremely rewarding, extremely challenging. And just, I think I'd be happy no matter where I go, as long yeah. as something flies. I mean, yeah, same thing with me. I think we both agree that, I mean, for you, your number one goal I don't want to say number one goal, but one of your goals in, in your career is to say that something that you took part in ended up being, you know, out there in space somewhere. Right. Right. And then for me, it's like something, and this is something that I've adopted from Paul as well, but you know, this is kind of what I, I did kind of have before too, which is like, I, I want to be able to see a plane up in the air and say, Hey, I worked on that. That would yeah. be great. That'd be phenomenal. I think I'd be yeah. very satisfied <laughs> if that was, you know, that is the case. So yeah. I think that's really, that resonates with me too, because 
I think that's one of the other reasons that air air vehicles are so satisfying because when you see a rocket or a launch vehicle or a spacecraft, whatever it is, you know, it's there, but then it's uh, only there for a few minutes, right? Like once after that launch, it's gone, right? I mean, of course, there's going to be many launches if you work on a rocket of that same vehicle, but an airplane can have a, a such a long life in and you know such a long service life right that right. you know at some point your kids if you, whatever vehicle you work on you'll be able to point to that plane like you said and tell your kids i worked on that i helped develop that hopefully that's what you want right right yeah and yeah they, so I, I think that's one of the most rewarding parts of working on air vehicles yeah you look at planes like the c-130 that thing's been like you know running along forever and it probably is going to long, run along for a, a long time. And so, yeah, definitely, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to have that. But then, you know, we could always look at the other side where, you know, a, a lot of our stuff has to do a lot of, at least in the U.S., a lot of engineering in um, aerospace has to do with Department of Defense. So we're working for the military most of the time. And so um, that's another episode on its own, <laughs> right? But basically, like, you know, long story short, you know, things don't always work out. If you put in years of your life into a vehicle, it may not end up actually coming into fruition due to you or, know, government and politics. Yeah. Or it, it can, and it could be a failure, you know, like, yeah, uh, the Concorde, it, you know, it worked, it, it was a functional plane. And from a financial standpoint, it was a failure. The plane didn't do so hot. It happens to be one of my favorite planes, but you know, it, it didn't work. It's not a, it wasn't a good idea. There was yeah. no, as our professor would put it, there was no business case for the plane and you right. can't build a plane without a business case. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, we're still creating products for people to use. So now I know how you got into being an engineer and what made you want to be it. But now that you're a student um, and you know, this might be a little bit subjective because we're not engineers mm-hmm. quite yet. But what do you think are some of the ingredients that make a good engineer? Right. And that's, that's a really good question to ask. Um, again, I, I don't think we're, we're in the right place to say that what we say is factual. But I think we could say that we pull from experience as being students, engineering students, and what our professors tell us. And even our professors, what they tell us could be subjective too. But I think the judgment and the filters that we set in place would set up a pretty good idea of what a good engineer would be. And it might even be more accurate to see what a good engineering student is, but I'll try to keep the overlap. I think the, the very obvious one is problem solving, right? You need to be very good at critical thinking. Okay. Uh, take, take notice of what's around you. Um, and this happens quite often. This is basically all the problems we see. In a structures problem, you have this, this, and this piece of information. What do you need to find, right? So yeah. you, need to, you, need to, you need to be able to critically think in those situations where you're given some knowledge, but not all of it. And that sounds very obvious. And that's how a lot of life works. But um, sometimes we don't practice that critical thinking muscle. And so this is a, a very practical way of, I think, thinking about it. Um, we, we, we need to have critical thinking skills. If you can't critically think, if you can't... Um, you know, approach a problem, I guess, in a creative way or, you know, um, in a way that you've done before and implementing this um, process again and again, then I think it's pretty uh, problematic for, I think, any engineer. I don't yeah, know how you feel I about agree. that. 
I yeah. agree. I think that like if we're thinking about if we're comparing one another, you're much better at that. You'll pick up on the small details, I think. But I also think that that is a skill that you develop over time. It right. isn't something that you're necessarily like born with. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, some people may be, you know, inherently better at critical thinking. But if you're like in a position where you think you can't learn that skill, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it just takes some honing. And, you know, it, it definitely is going to take some time. But um, I think it's more than, than feasible um, right. to, you know, work, work that, build that skill up a bit. Right. And to go on top of what you just said, that was a really good point that you brought up. It's not, it's not something you're born with. So a, a lot of what I've heard, and I'm not in industry yet, so I can't really vouch for this myself, but from the people I've heard in industry, they don't, they say nearly 90% of the stuff you learn in school isn't really put into use. And, you know, that could be a lot of different factors. One being, you know, school can't teach you everything, right? You need to, you know, learn a lot on the job. And then yeah. on top of that, you know, you're learning a lot of different things in aerospace, even though we're still a niche major, there's a lot of different things you could be learning. But when you go into the field, you're going to be in one specific niche in that niche itself. And so, you know, you can be a propulsions engineer, a test engineer, a systems engineer, a structural analysis, you know, analyst, you know, all that stuff. Right. Um, so and even within those subgroups are subgroups right. where, you know, you might focus on something for your entire career that is only one week of a class or one lecture, right? You could, mm-hmm. you could literally take a one lecture from aerospace or any engineer really. Um, and you could work your whole life basically applying that lecture and, and, and run with that. Right. Right. Yeah. And so basically I would say that when I'm saying that I'm saying, um, Sorry, I was kind of thrown off right there. But my point is, is you, you develop critical thinking skills in school. And so those critical thinking skills, like, help you in engineering in the future. And that's kind of the honing that is done. I, I don't think I was critically thinking like I am now, um, early on in my, you know, educational career. And it's, it's, I think that's the biggest asset, one of the biggest assets that I come away with through university is the ability to critically think and to, um, I guess, be quick on my feet is probably another way to put it. More than yeah. the the knowledge that also came with it, which I don't mind, I really enjoy, but it's also the ability to critically think because you're always challenged to think, um, you know, a different way, I guess, or challenged to approach a problem that you may not have all the information about. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. Is there- What else? I, what else? Okay, I guess I could bring another one up. I think um, what makes a good engineer, you need to be meticulous. That's something as well. And I think this is something as as Andrew lauds me on my ability to critically think. And I, I mean, I question whether or not, you know, I'm better than him. I know for a fact that Andrew's a lot more meticulous than I am. And meticulous has different connotations, but I mean this in the best way possible in that Andrew's really precise with his work. He's He's really, uh, I think it depends on the work, but yes. (laughs) Well, we we do say that we only put in as much, as much work as, you know, the people that, you know, I guess, teach us (laughs) shots fired in a a professor. Right. But I mean, that that's the the general understanding is it goes both ways. Symbiotic. If a professor is not, uh, they may be a little bit more relaxed and more chill. And so in in the process, you know, we are also relaxed and chill, but I think we both still try to put in 
you know, good quality work. And Andrew happens to be really good at that. He's very meticulous. Um, you guys may hear this if you guys are taking any courses right now in, uh, in a math class, maybe, or physics or engineering classes too. But early on, the professors say like units are important. And really they are, right? Andrew's the type of guy that writes out units in the middle of his work too. I write out my units at the way end for my answer. And that's what, you know, that, that, that's like the bare minimum requirement. But Andrew <laughs> literally, sometimes we're doing problems together and he's like, wait, the units don't match up. And I'm like, I think the units match up. He's like, no, they don't match up. I'm, and sometimes he's, re- he, sometimes he's right, sometimes he's not. <laughs> but, you know, that's the that's kind of true, work that he puts true. in. He's like, you know, the units don't match up. And I'm like, bro, I, 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 don't, I don't really care. <laughs> I think I got the right answer. But th- this is, you know, <laughs> this is just to say that Andrew's, you know, he's really good with his work. He's very meticulous and I think is a very good feature to have um, in, in the aerospace field, actually. Because a lot of the stuff that you work on gets documented as proof that that's something that the company has under their own documentation. Because a lot of the companies that you work for are, are trying to make money. And, you know, that documentation is very important to them making that kind of money. And that's something that Andrew can definitely bring to whichever company he'll work for. Yeah. So, first of all, my physics professor would be so proud. Shout out to Dr. <laughs> B. Second of all, basically, I look at it like this. One, it's a way to check my work. And two, when I get into a job, when, when I'm done and I graduate and I'm working, a lot of the times, like you said, this documentation is going to have a long paper trail and it's going to mm-hmm. you know, stay with that company for a really long time. Right. And, and sometimes we're going to work on a project, like you said, that potentially could get canned. And, but those documentations, those documents are always going to be there because right. at some point in the, in the future, there's a possibility that that project could come back. And I do not want to be that person that has to go pull documents from a project that was worked on 10 years ago and to decipher that past engineer's work. And so the way I look at it is like, is it's good karma. Like if I do my due diligence, then maybe somebody will also return the favor. And when I go pull those documents, I won't have to fig- re-engineer that person's work. So that's what mm. I kind of, the way I kind of approach it. For I sure. may be wrong. People may not do that. might may not feel the same way, but I'd, I'd hope so at least. Right, right. And, and that's not the only thing though, right? The documentation can be proof for in the future if another company is like, hey, no, we made that thing. And then they're gonna be like, no, look at Andrew's work. It literally, he signed it down there. And this, it, it's dated way back before you guys created this ever. You guys copied Andrew's work and they're gonna be like, oh shoot, you're right. You know, That's and the right. only way they know that is because Andrew dated his work. You know, he, he put his signature on there and everybody's like, Andrew's work is spot on. <laughs> That's right. My work is, I, it might be like a little OCD too, but I'll also, Johnny knows I write out these comments. So mm-hmm. I write my paper in third person as if I'm presenting it to somebody, even if it's a homework, like just a regular homework problem. And it's mostly so I could go back when I study, I could read through it and say, oh, this is what we did. And, you know, it's good. That's a good habit to get into. If you're, mm-hmm. you want better study habits, that's definitely one. Because 90% right. of the time, you probably pull your own homework that you want to study for tests because your professor says study the homework because it'll be like the test. You go to pull your homework. You don't know what you did. And, you know, it just saves time if you do it that way. Right. Yeah. So we both agree on it. You got to be meticulous. You got to be, you know, spot on and detailed. All right. I have another one, but are there any that you want to bring up before? 
No. I only have one major one. I mean, everything that you're saying, I agree with. So I'll let you run with it and I'll, I'll, I'll drop my one and I don't want to beat a dead horse. And I, so I think that you could do this last one that will do mine. Okay, for sure. So I think the last one for me would be resourceful for, to me means I don't know enough about this particular aspect of my project but I know the lead or I know the team that does know a lot about it. So I'm going to pop in there and I'm going to ask them questions. That's what being resourceful to me means. Right. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. Being resourceful is, it, it goes beyond just education and using the tools around you, but it could also mean talking to other people. It could also mean being a go-getter, right? Um, and, and I think Andrew's really good at this too. And I, I really need to you know, commend Andrew for this. He's something that he does is he's always reaching out to professors when he has questions about things in his project, he's not only reaching out to people within his project, but he's also reaching out to professors that have an expertise in this. And this is a shout out to, you know, Dr. Coburn, right? And, you know, you have a shout back and forth with him. Yeah, right. right. And so, I mean, and, it's the best, like that, that, that is the best version of, you know, a resource you could get that's an expert in the field. And you're also building a personal relationship to some degree oh, yeah. with that person, right? Oh yeah, that, it's a, it's a win-win situation. So, yeah, I mean, being resourceful goes beyond just, you know, using tools around you, but it can be um, talking to people. It can be, I guess, being resourceful would be even getting a head start on your internship applications or your job applications, right? That is all being resourceful. So it's a really blanket statement, but I think at the end of the day, it's just you're, you're, you're taking what's in front of you and you're just running with it. You're not leaving anything in front of you. You're not, le you're not leaving crumbs. You're really just taking everything that is at your disposal and you're using it to its hundred percent capacity that you can. I agree. It's about yeah. that grind. Exactly. Yeah. So th those are my three. Those are my things being resourceful. Um, what were the other two ones? Do you remember? I don't. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> having a good memory is not an <laughs> indicator of being a good engineer. Was it being resourceful? Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, you guys heard it, right? You guys took it in. So <laughs> that's all we need on here. So Andrew, what is your big one? You seem to really be building up on this one. So I want to hear what it is. I mean, okay, this is what I, I think. And, you know, take this with a grain of salt. This is just my personal opinion. But I truly think the best engineers that I've met, um, and, you know, like I said, I'm not an in industry. I'm not a real engineer. I'm a student. So this is subjective. But I think the best engineers are the ones that have that hands-on experience. And you don't have to be a mechanic. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you don't even have to necessarily, I, I think being hands-on means more than one thing, especially nowadays, because with the introduction of fast-paced computation methods, like, mm -hmm. you know, MATLAB, software, Python, whatever it is, um, being hands-on is has a whole new meaning. Right. Um, you, for instance, you don't necessarily have the hands-on abilities that I do. And what I mean by that, taking stuff apart, putting it back together, working on engines, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But you have such a deep rooted understanding in code and, and not only code, but like how code and everything is gets processed and how computers work and all that kind of stuff right. that you really have an advantage when it comes to that, to that field. Mm -hmm. Um, for those that you don't know me, I asked Johnny for help on my code. 90% of the time I'm writing code, I, I, I will ask Johnny for some tips on what, what I'm doing wrong. 
because 90% of the time I have an error of some sort. No, Andrew's got, you got to give yourself more credit than that. But sometimes you know. I come and help around, but he helps me too. Okay, guys, he, he knows how to, Andrew knows how to code. <laughs> um, but that really is, I think, the equivalent, like hands-on experience that you need um, mm. in, in being a really successful engineer. Um, and I think that, for a, a lot of reasons for if we think about like the computer programming aspect of things and that hands-on side it takes a lot of like computers are a mysterious thing right like the way they work in to some degree mm -hmm. uh, and and sometimes when your code doesn't work and stuff like that it could be really frustrating but if you know those intricacies and how it works and and that fine details like you do you know you i don't know if you mentioned it johnny actually taught programming at one point right um and so he you know he has that fundamental skill um and and on the other side of things the hands-on aspect like that i have the background i think helps me understand things on a more practical level mm -hmm. because i could think about some things in a sense of like I, I could grasp things like it's tangible right? right like especially i think this is the the most relatable is structures because mm -hmm. with structures, you're dealing how these physical things break, you know, bend, whatever it is. And that's things that I've had to deal with, right? As in working with stuff and, and you know, all kinds of stuff, not just mm -hmm. cars or, you know, maybe a building or, uh, you know, a doghouse, whatever it is, right? Right. Um, and so I feel like those two things can really set you apart. One thing that I've noticed at school is that a lot of students don't have that background experience and hands-on experience and it can affect them in projects because you don't know how to take a project from paper to the real world mm -hmm. and there's a lot involved in that right you could you easily as an engineer you could design something that cannot be manufactured mm -hmm. and then if it can't be manufactured what is the point it, it literally has no point right 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 so that background knowledge, that background experience has really helped me take these complex topics and, and get a, a physical sense for it. Right. And also just be able to kind of look at things from a less of an engineering perspective and more of a everyday perspective, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important because that kind of goes along with this is something one of our professors always said is Dr. Coburn. He said, use your good engineering judgment, right? So when, he, when he's saying that, he's saying, does that make sense to you? Does, that, does it make sense that this number should be this exorbitant? Or does this number make sense that it should be negative? And, you know, we're talking about numbers here, but, you know, certain numbers should not be negative in, in the real world, right? I mean, yeah, you can think about perspective on, and looking, you know, back, at something but like for example distance should not be negative from my understanding it should always be positive right what <laughs> i don't know if andrew disagrees maybe that's not the best example but there's okay like maybe like negative weight right i don't think there's a negative mass possible so um i don't know that might controversial maybe i maybe i'm, I'm You're about letting it canceled NASA <laughs> is about to email you and at Aeroholics Anonymous podcast at gmail.com and say, what did you say, Jonathan Yee? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I guess you, I mean, masks should not be 
negative. I don't think math should ever be negative. I, I agree. <laughs> Unless maybe you're in a black hole, but I'm hope hopefully I'm not showing myself to be a very um, not knowledgeable engineer, <laughs> cheese, uh, or just even like someone that has taken like a bunch of physics. And so, but yeah, basically, I, I really do agree that you know being hands on to a certain extent really does give you exposure to make sense of the world around you. And I think that's very important as an engineer. And I think that's something that should be desirable. And I think a lot of people, that's, I, I think that's something we call the intangible or the untangible, right? Where it's not something that's necessarily taught in school. Some of these things are taught through personal experience, like with you being, I guess, kind of a mechanic, you know, working at, with your dad at a shop. And, and for me, um, picking up coding on the side and being able to teach it. Right. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that being hands-on is definitely something that is important um, because that basically is kind of what you're going to be, I guess if, if, if we're talking about engineering judgment, then that's what is going to determine in the future. And it might save time or money when you have good engineering judgment. And so I entirely agree with you about being hands-on and what hands-on leads to. Yeah. You get an overall, I think, a better overall experience and understanding of what you're working on. Yeah. Nine, nine out of 10 times. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's what we think. We, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let you guys know if in, in five years those, those thoughts hold true. <laughs> Hopefully they do. Why five years? Why not two? Or two years. Yeah, we could do two years. We'll revisit this episode in two years. Hopefully you guys are still listening. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you guys, if you guys think we missed anything, you know, go ahead and email us. If you guys have any criticisms, go ahead and email us. If you guys have any questions, go ahead and email us. And where is it? What's your email at? Anonymous. Oh, podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And, and you wanted to add something else onto that, right? Yeah. Speaking of questions. Well, this is a quick one. Akib says... He loves the podcast and he's going to school for aerospace engineering in Germany. Shout out mm -hmm. to Germany. Germany. His, his old Asus laptop has retired and he's planning on buying a MacBook. He wants to know what you think about that, Johnny. Oh man. Um, I've had a couple friends in the engineering, you know, space around me as a student have MacBooks and they actually have a much harder time due to having a MacBook in, in, I guess, being an engineering student, because not every single program for engineering is actually supported by Mac OS. I myself personally owned a MacBook at one point during my early years as an engineering student, but this was at the community college level. And so I didn't really need it at the time. But once I started getting into, I guess, more upper level classes where I needed to either 3D design or something of that sort, that's when I, you know, I needed to really actually use a, a Windows computer. And the Windows computer is it's just a lot easier to handle and it's a lot more compatible with other programs. I don't know if there's an ANSYS for uh, Mac. I don't know if there's a NAS trans for Mac. Um, I know there's a MATLAB and I, I don't know if there's a SOLIDWORKS for Mac, but I know all of those things that I just listed are definitely on Windows. There, There is, um, but... Typically, most programs, uh, one, work better on Windows, and two, some are just, like you said, not supported at all. Right. Um, I do personally like the Mac. 
an Apple ecosystem, but I know for engineering, that'll never work for me. Right. Um, but yes, I, I would, I would say that both me and Johnny agreed. Don't buy a Mac. Um, we're probably going to get some, get some flack from that, from our friends that do have Macs, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Um, our computers are better No, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> if, if I, I, I happen to like overpriced Lenovo products, Johnny, do you have a preference in, in the computers you like? Um, I used to be a really big guy into the surface lineup and I know that you had a surface at 1.2. Those are just like Macs, though. They like, are. I mean, they're a Windows cert product, right? And they have the Windows interface and support system, but they are like the equivalent of a Windows Mac. Yeah, I like bougie stuff, and so that's kind of the that's where I'm at. But I, I think the I think the fine line, if if you can afford this, would be having a desktop that's a Windows desktop, and then if you really want a Mac, you could own a Mac laptop, I guess. But I think the best of both worlds would be owning a Windows computer desktop at home and then probably a Surface Book. A Surface Book's then good. Then you never me. you never lose like you might not have the the computing power you need but you never lose the full functionality. Right. And you get I mean to a certain extent you can still run SolidWorks or MATLAB on your on your Surface laptop like very easily. Like so and on top of that, for engineering students, I, I mean, as long as you're not doing something crazy, like, I don't know if you guys can't see Andrew, but he was like, he was like, it's kind of like shaking his not head or something said. like that. Yeah. But I, I think for the most part, I think most computations can be done on a Surface Book. And beyond that, you know, save it for the desktop. And then, you know, on top of that, if you own a Surface, a Surface laptop, maybe not the laptops, but the Surface Pros or the Surface Book, then you can actually take notes on that. And that is a double whammy if you like taking digital notes. So Especially during COVID. Yeah, especially. So um, we understand the allure of a MacBook. I, I really like how it looks. You know, my girlfriend has a MacBook and I sometimes I like seeing it. <laughs> it looks nice. Don't but, fall into the trap. But highly recommended. Go for a Windows laptop. You're going to save yourself a lot more pain. If you end up with a, a MacBook in the future and you don't listen to this advice, which is fine, right? You're going to end up having to partition a portion of your laptop to be able to run Windows, you know, products or not Windows products, but win, like programs under Windows. And that means you're basically cutting your computer in half um, in terms of operating power. And so highly not recommended. Just go for a Windows. It'll save you a lot more pain. One out of 10 recommendation. One out of 10. Johnny, that's all we got for this episode. You want to go ahead and send us out? Yeah. We out. Later, guys. See ya.